What's up, everybody? Welcome to Same Team. I am your host, Daniel Trainer. How are you? Thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate it. It's a historic day for the Same Team podcast. It truly is. Today's episode features our first Olympian. How about that? Eric Radford is on the show today. Eric is a three-time Olympic medalist, two-time world champion in figure skating. Uh, Again, when I started this podcast, I wanted to chat with him. His name was on that list. You'll hear me tell him that right off the bat. It's not a lie. Eric was on the list when I started this podcast of people I wanted to talk to, and I got to do it, and the conversation was really better than I could have hoped. He was awesome, and Eric's story is really great, and I think you'll hear it just proves that coming out is so important. Eric talks about how his life changed both personally and professionally after doing it. Eric is sort of an interesting case in the sense that he did it in between his two Olympics. He did it sort of at the peak of his career and his life uh, professionally and personally really flourished after. So I think it's a testament to how important it is to do that. Uh, You know, when he did it, I remember being so impressed that not only was he an Olympian, again, he was at the peak of his career which I, I think is just so admirable and so courageous. And you'll hear me fawn over Eric a little bit telling him that. We talk about his whole career growing up in Canada and also what he's doing now. Eric is the second guest in a row. Had Derek Gordon on last episode. Derek is uh, getting into the acting business. And Derek talked about wanting to maybe one day win an Oscar. Eric also has his sights on Oscar. So not only is he an Olympian, not only does this podcast feature wonderfully prominent and influential athletes, journalists, it also features uh, future Oscar winners. You'll hear Eric and I chat about that near the end, all the cool stuff that he's doing right now with music. It's really fascinating. So uh, I will stop talking because you want to hear Eric. So let's get to that. Thank you very much for listening. Here's my interview with Eric Radford. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited that, uh, that I have you today. I've been wanting to chat with you for a little while. And, and, you know, when I started this podcast, I had a list of people that I wanted to chat with and, and your name was on the list. So this is really exciting for me. Oh, no, it's awesome. So I always like to start talking about where uh, people grew up because I think that's interesting. So can, can you tell me a little bit about growing up, where you grew up and what your childhood was like? Yeah, for sure. Um, I grew up in a very small town in northwestern Ontario called Red Lake. And Red Lake is a small mining community. Um, It's really beautiful. Uh, It's like a lot of properties are like right on the lake and there's um, lots of like lakes that are all connected together. Um, But it's uh, long winters, short summers, very, very cold and a lot of snow. And the closest city is a five and a half hour drive away. And that's oh my God. Yeah. So it's not the easiest place to get to if you want to go shopping or anything like that. It was a, a long drive away. You know, you had to make a weekend out of it. Wow. Um, but it was a, a really, um, a really great community, you yeah. know, and, um, you know, I didn't get the sense of that as much when I was a kid because I was busy just, you know being a kid sure but uh you know as i when i left and i would go back i just i I saw what a a great community it was do you is your family still there 
Yes, my parents and my brother are still living there. They left at some point, but then ended up moving back. Oh, but wow. Yes, right now they are, everybody is back up there. Wow. So what would you do? I mean, if, you know, if, if sounds are five and a half hours away, you kind of have to create your own entertainment, I suppose. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think I had like the best childhood. It's like the best place to raise kids and to be a kid because I would spend, you know, in the winter, we would go sliding, we would build snow forts. I was always just out and about with my friends. And in the summer, we would go out in the bush and build tree forts and just, you know, play around in the bush or go down to the beach, spend time on the lake. I was able to do like every sport, um, you know, skating, gymnastics, curling, cross-country skiing. I did it all. Curling? I like that. (laughs) Yeah, I actually really love curling. Um, I've never been curling, and I keep telling myself I need to go. There's a place, like, near L.A. where people go. It's become kind of a thing lately where you just kind of go. I think it becomes popular every time the Winter Olympics come around where people are like, oh, that looks fun, and then they research where they can go curling. There's a place, I think, in, like, Pasadena. I've never been, and I I really want to go. I've actually I've heard that uh, popularity of curling has surged since the last Olympics because the Americans did so well. Yeah, I think so. I know. I I, I read something about that too. Uh, and it's so funny, like to see people in you know the middle of sunny California just like bundled up curling in this random <laughs> in this random little spot. But people seem to love it. I need to do it. It's a really fun social sport. I highly recommend. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. I guess it's sort of like bowling in that a little bit. sense. A little bit. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, that sounds like a really, like, idyllic child, uh, childhood. When you're a kid, you know, I suppose that's all you really knew is, is you know, sort of this small town life. It sounds like a, out of a movie, really. Yeah, it, well, I mean, it, it had its challenges at sure. certain points, you know, later on. and um, But, yes, growing up, it was it was great, and I loved it. Where was the near – did you have, like, an ice rink in town? Yes, there was two outdoor ice rinks in um, – Balmer Town. So that's something I should explain. So Red Lake is kind of like the biggest town, but it's a district and it's made up of uh, three or four smaller towns. So there's Red Lake itself, Koshiner, which is where the main rink was, the arena, okay. and then Balmer Town, B-A-L-M-E-R Town. Um, and that's where I actually, I grew up in Balmer Town. And okay. um, there was two outdoor rinks in Balmer Town and one was like right across the street from my house when I was growing up. Oh, wow. Convenient. Yes. Have you read, there's this book called Bear Town. Have you read Bear Town? Mm, no. It's a good book. I, uh, I'll, I'll, you should check it out. It's like, it sort of sounds a little bit like what you're talking about. Sort of this small town and it's about a hockey team, but sort of this small town community. Uh, it's really good. You should check it out. Um, yeah. well that, yeah, that sounds cool. So then like when, when you're growing up, I mean, when does figure skating sort of become more of a hobby I mean, or, or, you know, when does it switch from, Oh, I'm really good at this. This is something I need to take seriously. So I saw figure skating on TV during the Olympics when I was like seven years old. And it was the following fall that I I started skating. So I was about eight years old. That's kind of late, right? Um, It's a little bit later than normal. But for a boy going into figure skating, I think it's a little bit more average. Okay. So boys usually start a little bit later than girls. Um, and it was just, I was just enamored with it, right? When I, I saw it on TV, it reminded me of flying. And when I was little, I was obsessed with planes and I wanted to be a pilot. And 
it also, you know, it's one of the few uh, sports done to music. And I think that also sure. had a big effect on me without me really knowing it back then. And um, I just, I used to, I told my mom I want to learn to do that. And I started trying to do jumps in my living room. And I would go over to that outdoor ice rink and try and jump and turn on the ice and glide on one foot. And, you know, my mom put me into figure skating lessons then. Okay. But... It wasn't until I got a little older when I was like 12, 13 that I started going to competitions and I wanted to go to the bigger competitions. I wanted to do the competitions that I saw on TV and that I would, you know, read about in figure skating magazines. And um, so that was when I made the choice to kind of like move away from home and pursue skating competitively. And what what age is that? That's at 13. 13. That's crazy. I mean, I'm from a hockey family, and so the world of figure skating was always something that I had a little bit of a look into just from sharing the same ranks and the same ice and whatever. And it always seemed like such a, a crazy, intense, committed world. What was your experience like as a 13-year-old sort of just jumping into all of that? When I when I look back, or if I look at other thirteen year olds, you know that I see today, it was it was kind of crazy that at that age I kind of I don't know had that dedication or yeah. that or I don't know what it was. Um, um, I mean for me it was all just exciting, and I just had like this fire, this drive. I don't know where it came from. And it, you know, it, it pushed me to want to be the best. But I also was very competitive at, at a young age, no matter what, like, I wanted to be the first in line. I had to be, I wanted to get the highest grades. I always wanted to be the best at everything I did, whether yeah. it was a video game or a board game. So like, that was just like this innate instinct that I had. And I think that might have been the biggest driving force. And um, you know, it was different going from uh, a skating club up in Red Lake to, to one in, I initially moved to a little town called Kenora, which was about a three and a half hour drive away. And now, do you, know, you move, who did you move with your family? No, I moved and I, I would bill it with, uh, with a skating family most of the time. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, my, my mom let me go cause she, you know, just always kind of supported what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, and it also for me coincided with escaping Red Lake. <laughs> sure. Um, it was, you know, the last two years, which was which would have been a uh, seventh and eighth grade, were probably the most difficult for me when it came to the bullying and, um, you know, just getting like teased every day by kids, you know, about about figure skating. And is it because of figure skating, or is it is it about your sexuality? I think it was about both looking back. I mean, I don't know how well the other kids like understood, um, yeah. you know, about sexuality or being gay or thought that I was gay, but they definitely thought that figure skating was a girl sport and the right. fact that I did. And I mean, of course, I'm sure that I, I had the mannerisms. I didn't have normal, uh, not normal, but I didn't have like the same type of mannerisms and interests as all the other boys. So I was different. And of course they, you know, they can target you when you're different than everybody else. So, yeah, I think like seventh and eighth grade boys, when they're making fun of people, they don't really even know what they're making fun of as much as they're just they know something's different. Right. And so they have they just want to attack that. They don't really even know why, but they know that you're not like them and they don't like that. Exactly. Exactly. So, 
you know, the opportunity to move away and for skating was exciting, but I remember feeling and getting a sense that it was also an opportunity for me to recreate myself by going to a new school. I was like, I had a clean slate and yeah. I could just, uh, I had a little bit more control over how people perceived me. Yeah. Mo most people get that when they go to college, you had it at 13. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I also, I ended up moving to a, a different city every year of high school. I went to a different high school every year. Oh my God. So it was kind of a process that I got to repeat. You know. Did you enjoy, I mean, did you like that or, or was that difficult or maybe a little was, bit of both? There was aspects of it that were difficult and there was, I think, aspects that, um, you know, it was a clean slate each time. And, um, you know, I, when I, when I look back at it all, like grade nine, it was a great year. It was a great school that I went to. And, um, you know, when I had success, people respected it. You know, you know yeah sure and as I you know in, in that year I, I um, you know I did pretty well I went to some bigger competitions and then the same thing happened the following year and the following year so like as my success in skating increased I, I usually kind of demanded more respect from from you know the hockey players like they would be like oh wow that's cool like you went to a, a national level competition and that was something that they respected right but there was always the few assholes that just wanted to sure make fun of me regardless and there was always the you know the, the hard moments through all of it but yeah that that first year it was a, it was more there was a lot more positivity to to everything yeah well you're, it sounds like you know you you're able to sort of create your own narrative you know which is nice and and when you're successful in something even if somebody doesn't like you they they sort of have to respect you yeah, yeah, and um, and and another part of it that went along with it, I remember, and I, I you know, people may have uh, heard me say this before, or if they've ever heard me talk about my story, is part of recreating myself was like I used to speak with a lisp, mm -hmm. and I remember that summer when I moved away, I I literally taught myself to speak without it. Like oh, wow. I just I I practiced over and over saying s and then you know being very aware of it, and then. I remember becoming hyper aware of my mannerisms and I used to try and, and it's funny because one of my best friends, he used to say that, oh, I would go into statue mode whenever I was around <laughs> people I'd never met before because I was like, if I don't move or say anything <laughs> or give away too much, then people can't judge me. And if they can't judge me, then they can't make fun of me. Yeah, for sure. So, um, and you know, that kind of continued on until I, I got, you know, into my late, my late teens and, but, um, so yeah, like I, I kind of recreated myself in that way and was, like I said before, was able to kind of control how people, people perceived me a little bit better. And yeah, maybe that kind of that with my, you know, more success in my sport kind of resulted in less teasing and less bullying. So when you're, when you're in high school, what is a day, a, a typical day like for you? Are, you? are you getting up before school and skating? Are you going to the rink right after school? What's it like? Both of those, exactly that. Yeah. So I would usually skate before school, you know, usually up around 5.30 on the ice from like 6 to 8 in the morning, go to school, and then usually did one or two hours after school as well. Is it hard to focus on school? Um, I mean, going through high school, for the most part, it wasn't. My mom was a high school teacher and always... Oh, you got to be good. Always, I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
you know, she was she always made sure that school was first and then skating was second. So that like that was just a uh, that just went without saying that school was the most important. So yeah. it, it was never mm-hmm. like I was allowed to kind of slack off or just relax when it came to school. Yeah. Um, there were times when it became more difficult um, for grade 11. I was I moved to Montreal that year and um like taking French, like the level of French in Montreal, all of a sudden I was way out of my league and I needed to get tutoring and that took oh a lot, God. like a lot more time. So like there was difficult elements to it like that. But for the most part, I, um, you know, I liked school. I, I, again, I had that, that competitive instinct. I wanted to do well and I never, it never caused me any problems. So I also know you, you mentioned music earlier and what a big, part music is of your life and has been it continues to be um you know are what role is music playing in all of this while you're in high school and also just like sort of incorporating into your love of figure skating so i i started playing the piano at the exact same time i started skating when i was eight years old and that kind of all just happened randomly my brother had a music project we had a little keyboard and i i went in and kind of taught myself to play when the saints go marching in and I loved like experimenting on the, the piano and listening to the different, uh, you know, how the like different notes went together and stuff. And I started piano lessons. And I, again, looking back, like music was like a sanctuary for me and provided so much balance. And that's true from from then right up until like I went to the Olympics. Yeah. Um, when I was having hard days or when I was, you know, having social anxiety at school and I would come back and I could just sit at the piano and the world would melt away and I could just lose myself in it. And I think that's part of the reason that I stuck with it and, you know, tried to excel at it for as long as I did because it was just, uh, it was that, that thing that, uh, that thing was just always there for me. Yeah. Well, it also seems like it's something that you can control. You know, you it's a solitary thing. You can get better at it. You can work on it. It's sort of the same thing as figure skating in a sense, I suppose, where it's something that if you put in the time and dedication, you can probably see the results. It sort of sounds like that's, uh, you know, part of your, your personality a little bit. Exactly. So how does – so you're in high school. You are – you're skating all the time. You're obviously very good. How does this sort of happen where the transition in between, okay, I'm really good at, you know, 14, 15, 16 to the Olympics? I mean, that's obviously you know, such a long story, a long journey, but can you walk me through just a little bit how that process happens, how it becomes like, oh, he's not only very good, he's excellent, and he's going to, you know, represent our country? So... It's kind of funny because if I go back and I watch videos from when I am 14, 15, probably just up until I was 16, I don't know, I was just talking with some of my fellow my fellow skaters about this. Like I would have been one of those kids that you would have seen and you would have been like, oh my God, like this kid's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> like I always had a little bit of potential, but I didn't have, you know, the best basics um, and it really wasn't until I was 16 and I, I moved to, uh, I was in Montreal and I, I kind of teamed up with my coach here that he really kind of took control. And, you know, that was when I started landing all of my triple jumps. Um, I won my first national title that year. And so that would have been the very, very beginning of me starting to think that, oh, wow, maybe I can, 
maybe I can get further than I really imagined. Yeah. Okay. You know? and, and he would have probably been a coach that saw that potential for the first time and really tried to take me under his wing and kind of mold me into the skater he thought I could be. Yeah. And then I was like a theme in my entire career is just being a late bloomer. Um, like through the junior ranks, I never went to like the junior world championships, which is, you know, very prestigious and, you know, sort of like the young prodigies, like the next ones always get to go to. I never, I never had any of that. My career really started when my, like, and my Olympic dream really started more in my mid to late twenties. Wow. So, I mean, that transition, it was a, a lot of just, you know, perseverance and, and, having, um, you know, my coach really believe in me and that belief kind of just helping me to continue on those sort of mid years where I was having, you know, some success, but it was never, you know, at that point I could never, I never really knew it was going to translate into like an Olympic career. Yeah. So it was really, I mean, the main sort of catalyst for the Olympics was meeting and teaming up with Megan. Yeah. Well, I would I would imagine, too, that being a little bit of a late bloomer and not really even starting to think about the Olympics until your 20s probably made you appreciate it a little bit more, you know? Oh, like, for sure. I mean, of course, I dreamed of the Olympics from the first time I saw it. You know, it was yeah. always like the dream. But, you know, I was always very realistic about my own abilities and what I thought I could accomplish. And, um, you know, it wasn't always clear that, you know, the Olympics was going to happen, but it was something I always dreamed of and strive for. And um, so, yeah, you know, that, that kind of carried me on through. So walk me through your first Olympics. I the There are so many stories about the Olympics. The, the Olympics in general are just fascinating to me. I mean, it's it's there's so many stories about the village and just the community and what happens there. It just seems like such a hyper competitive, intense place to be. What was your first experience like? If I had to put it into one word, I'd say electric. I Okay, okay. I like that. <laughs> I mean, after spending your entire life working towards this like one dream and then you're in the middle of it, like It's wild. It's it's really wild and surreal, and I just remember uh, it was like our first day there, and Megan and I we had to bike uh, from where we were, like from the like our building to the cafeteria, and we just looked at bike? each other. Well, yeah, because in Sochi everything was so like big and far apart that we had to like it would have taken you like twenty minutes to walk. From... Seems very inconvenient. <laughs> in a way it was but it was actually kind of nice to just kind of bike around the grounds a little bit yeah yeah it's nice i get that but uh we looked at each other and i remember just just looking around and having chills going throughout my body like it felt like electricity and we just looked at each other and we were like we hadn't even competed yet and we were like we want to do this again like we always <laughs> yeah. do in that moment that like we would have we want to experience the olympics again and um it's all like a little bit like the first Olympics is a little bit of a blur. And, you know, we um, there were some highs like we won the team silver. So we got to stand on the podium and then we had some lows. We didn't have our we didn't have our, a great skate in our individual event. And we ended up in seventh. And um, it also the first Olympics where it ties into like my 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 life and my sexuality and my identity. It was also I felt a little bit like um back in high school again, where I didn't really know a lot of the athletes. I wasn't out to anybody. 
I did have anxiety about, you know, just being myself. I was very more, I was a lot more self-aware with, again, my mannerisms and yeah. how I presented myself and the, what I talked about. And so, you know, that aspect compared to my second Olympics where I was just, you know, completely myself and completely free and I didn't give a damn about what anybody else was thinking about me. It was, it was very different. But yeah, that initial... Just the fact of being there as an athlete was a dream come true. So what? So shortly after that, shortly after those Olympics is when you came out, right? Yes. So it's it's interesting to me that you decided to come out really at the height of your career, right? A lot of people sort of wait until maybe they're done, maybe wait until they're waning years, but you you did it right in the thick of it. Why? Um, it was kind of a perfect storm of reasons. And I mean, I, everything kind of changed inside me after going to my first Olympics. I had achieved this huge goal. Um, I was in a, a, a long-term relationship. Um, and a big, a huge shift that happened inside of me was with skating and you know, with between Megan and I, we had always been kind of struggling to find our own identity as a team. Mm -hmm. And a theme that season was literally just like, screw it. We're just going to do what we want to do. We're going to have our own style. We're going to stop trying to please everybody and all the judges and listening to all the critiques. And it was kind of like that, that feeling that kind of rolled into uh, the, the thought of coming out and that it's and that as well as somebody coming, uh, somebody from the COC, the Canadian Olympic committee kind of talking to me about it and kind of presenting me with the, the idea and the opportunity that, you know, you, you could tell your story and it can make a big difference. And, um, and then that also tying into, thinking back to when I was a young kid in figure skating and all the bullying I went through. And if I had, if there was somebody in the public eye, an athlete or, you know, anybody that I could have like looked up to and been like, wow, like they're gay and they're not afraid of it and yeah. they had success. It would have just, it would have helped me so much. I would have just, you know, given me somebody to look up to and made me more comfortable with myself. I probably would have been able to accept myself a lot quicker. So all of that just kind of happened at the same time. And, you know, Megan and I were in the middle of an undefeated season. And I thought, okay, like, why the hell not? Let's why do it. Why not? Wait, so somebody came, somebody came to you and suggested, how did they, how did they even know? Um, I mean, because like if I, in my like immediate friend circle, like it wasn't, I never tried to hide it in my like, sure, you know what I mean? Like everybody around me kind of just knew. And, um, it was at, uh, like it was, uh, the post Olympic, like there was like a big parade in, uh, Calgary. Okay. And like, I think we were all out at like a big party and, um, you know, this, you can just, you just kind of know. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I understand. <laughs> yeah, no, I know how that goes. Yeah. That's, well, that, that's interesting. So, so how did you, I mean, I, I know how this happened, but, but for the listeners, how did, how did the coming out process happen? What did you do? Well, it was with uh, Sid. Yes, uh, friend of the podcast. 
Yeah, yeah. I I saw that you've talked with him before, and um, you know, he just said that he would like listen to me, and I could tell him my story, and he would you know put it out there on Out Sports, and it that's just like that's basically how it happened, and it was kind of like the reaction afterwards that was more surprising because I really thought that I would tell my story and maybe uh, you know people that. Uh, you know, I guess followed gay sports or, you know, maybe like a, a sort of niche LGBT part of the community would end up reading it and maybe it would make, you know, it could make a small difference if, you know, some young athlete somewhere got to see that article. Yeah, sure. And then it was really like immediately afterwards that all of the different media outlets in Canada started calling me and like the next day I was... I was down in the village um, going for dinner and I saw on the front page of one of the uh, the newspapers here, like there was my photo and it was oh, like, uh, you know, Canadian athlete comes out hoping to make a difference. And I was just like, whoa, like that was like when I partly I felt a little like not scared, maybe just a little apprehensive. Yeah. Also that. I could just feel like, oh, wow, like this is this is important. You know what I mean? It's on the front page. I, I really didn't think it was going to be. I, well, I remember I remember it. And I remember it being a big deal to me. I mean, I, I was so I was so excited to hear your story and see that, you know, sort of like I was saying earlier, this this Olympian, this guy sort of really in the height of his career, making the decision to do it. I was so impressed with that and, and you know, so grateful for that decision, because I think it is it was such a cool thing. And, and it's become a little bit more of a thing lately for for people to come out sort of while they're still playing, while they're still, you know, sort of at their peak. But, you know, I, I think you were really one of the first to do it. And I was I was so impressed with that and uh you know i i just remember being just very thankful for for doing that was you know was the reaction inside the skating community all positive yeah it was i mean i think that was a the probably biggest part of like the apprehension i had was is this going to affect my career in some way is it going to affect uh especially my competitive career is it going to affect how the judges see me right um but it, it didn't. And I mean, we went on to win our first world title and we continued our undefeated season. So I think that, you know, in a, in, within the skating community at the events, I, a lot of uh, some of the other athletes and a lot of the officials, even some of the judges came up and, you know, they kind of con- congratulated me and they thought it was great. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, I is the figure skating community pretty progressive? I've always assumed that it is, but you can speak to that way more than I can. I think for the athletes, it is. I think that the institution of figure skating is a little uh, outdated, <laughs> I guess. Sure, sure. That's a good pause. Slow, slow paced. Um, sure. Like a good word. You know, it, it's like it comes from a very, it's like that the same type of like tradition that like tennis and. I think like yeah. golf came yeah. from yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, a little bit stuffy, um, and you know it, it is modernizing now. But so yeah, there's it kind of works two ways. It's yeah, that's interesting. And I'm also just thinking now. I didn't even put this together, but like when you're talking about being judged for your for your skating, I never even really thought about that. That 
you're coming out potentially could be impacted that way. You know, if, if a judge just straight up doesn't like you for who you are, there's a very obvious and easy way for him to show that. Uh, I did. I never even thought about that. Did you ever feel like that, that impacted any of your scores ever? No. And, you know, and I looked for it after we competed, after I came out, I would see if there was a little change in our, especially in our artistic score, like in figure skin, you have the technical score, which they can't really like affect as much. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I skate pairs. So a big part of what judges look for is like the chemistry on the ice. And so, you know, knowing that I'm gay and if, you know, Megan and I never tried to do like a super romantic type of chemistry, but if the judges are looking for that and they're like, Oh, well, he's gay. So obviously that's not going to be there. And then like right, you said, right. it can affect how they see you in their mind's eye. Then maybe it was going to affect how they marked me. But I would, I would look, you know, I look, I look to see if there was ever a change and there wasn't our scores continued to actually improve as the, as the season went on. Well, that's great. So, so how, how were your, your second Olympics different from your first? Just, can you expand on that a little bit? Just in the sense that, you know, you were, you were yourself, you were open, you were free. I mean, how much more were you able to enjoy it? Uh, it was totally different. Like from the moment, and it was, it was in, um, it was in that like sort of personal way, but it also kind of translated into the actual like competitive uh, competition sporting way. Yeah. Going to my second Olympics was like going home. Like from the moment we landed in Pyeongchang, I didn't feel distracted by anything. I felt right in my own element. I felt prepared. I felt that I could be myself on all levels, express myself on all levels. Like I felt completely comfortable in a totally different way than Sochi. And in the sporting environment, like the closer you can be to just being so centered in that mm-hmm. way, the better chance you're giving yourself to have your best performance. And that's and you know that's uh, what ended up happening for for Megan and I. So yeah, it was a much more comfortable. Um, and, uh, I mean, (laughs) partly because of the results, exciting experience. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the thing about this podcast and what's been nice is that I have the opportunity to chat with people and, and talk about their coming out stories. Not once has somebody been like, Oh man, you know, I wish I hadn't done it. You know, it like, it really screwed things up for me. Like everybody has just said, I came out and my career flourished. Things were great. I became a better person. Everybody around me became better. You know, of course, there are hiccups and and struggles along the way, of course. But, you know, I I think for people listening, you know, and you were saying earlier to for kids to have people to look up to. I mean, people like you who can come out and, and continue to thrive, I think, is just is so great. So I'm so happy to hear that your second Olympics were were even better because you were able to to truly be yourself. Oh, thank you. Um, I wanted to ask, too, I mean, at the Olympics this past year, obviously there was so much attention here, but also everywhere given to Adam. Was there was there any part of you that was like, uh, I'm right here? Like, I, I know that you guys are friends, but was there any part of you that was like, hey, what about me? Oh, I mean, of course. Like, I mean, his whole life just exploded, and I'm I'm nothing but, like, happy for him. And you know what? We've always 
everybody in the skating community has always known that he's like one of the most hilarious people on the planet. So like, I just love that everybody else got to see that and that it's, you know, he's making his life out of it. Um, I mean, I, I know that, uh, things are like the way things work in the States, it's very different than it is in Canada. And wait, like how, what do you mean? Um, I, I mean, there's just, you got a, a lot larger population. So like on social media, like your the presence will be a lot bigger. And, um, yeah, I think that when it comes to like endorsements and when it, and athletes with like within that sort of public space and being able to, um, have access to those types of things. I feel like there's more opportunity in, in the United States than there is in Canada. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. And, um, you know, I don't have the personality that Adam has. So <laughs> I, I, well, not many do. No, I know exactly. Like that's, he's, he's got it, you know? And, yeah. um, I'm, I'm just quieter, more introverted. And so I, you know, I mean, of course, like I, I, I wish I had a, a bigger following on on social media and oh, well just wait till this podcast comes out Eric. oh my <laughs> god it's about to blow up for you uh, <laughs> no and i mean i i think i've kind of found you know like i think the way i can be most effective in making a difference is just by telling my story and trying to be myself because i i can't be anything else but myself and you know, I can admit it. Maybe myself is like a little boring, and that's just <laughs> no. The way it's not boring. <laughs> it's just a little more quiet. Yeah, yeah. And so, you need both. You need you, and you need Adam. You need both sides of the coin. You know. Exactly. Exactly. I probably yeah. Like uh, if I were you know a younger kid, you know, watching the Olympics, I probably would have identified more with you. So the people who are probably uh, you know, admirers of you are probably just, they're too quiet to let you know that they, <laughs> that they love you, but they're, they're there. Believe me. Okay. You have to trust me. Yes, I do. I do trust you. Um, so can you tell me about the music stuff that you're doing now? Yeah. I mean, I, I just released my second single called storm. Um, I listened to it. It's very good. Thank you very much. You're um, welcome. I, uh, I just finished, we, um, like the Canadian cast, we just finished a tour across Canada called the Thank You Canada Tour, and I was given the opportunity to, you know, play that song. I played Storm, and one of my best friends, Patrick Chan, skated to it, and That's we kind of collaborated. That's so cool. It, it, was, it was amazing. I mean, and, and Patrick and I collaborated before I composed his competition music two seasons ago, but this was the first time I ever performed in a public space, and it was exhilarating and amazing and it was like almost like a spiritual experience every night just hearing the the crowd like respond to my music rather than to my skating like it's a whole different part of myself you know and yeah such amazing feedback and i was like okay i i need to release this so i went into studio and recorded it and and released it and the response has been amazing and i've kind of been I've always known that music is something I want to pursue and especially more when I'm done skating, when I have more uh, time to kind of put into it, but it's even more so now, you know, I've been bitten by the bug and I, I love going into the studio. I love the energy. I love the creativity and 
I'm, I feel like I'm at the very beginning of a whole new sort of chapter and, and section of my life. Yeah, that's so exciting. I mean, it, it must be so exhilarating just to have this new thing that is you're just barely opening the door. I mean, there's so much, obviously, that you can do there. That has to be so much fun. So, like, what what do you see for yourself? I mean, where where is Eric Radford in 10 years? Um, I mean... <laughs> I, I would I would love to be a little bit more established as a, a composer as a musician. Um, I mean I've always dreamed of composing for film. Ooh. Um, I, I'd love to release an album. I, I really just want to write, compose, record as much as possible, and then see where it all goes. And you know I, I've already even after releasing Storm, I. I I've been like um, some people have reached out about me composing for some short films. Oh, that's so cool. Um, just, you know, little projects like that. And maybe that's how it all kind of starts. And in 10 years, who knows? You know, I, I you know, I had the dream as a kid of going to the Olympics and winning an Olympic medal. And, you know, I've done that. So my new like dream of dreams would be to like win and win a. Uh, you know, an Academy Award for Best Original Score or something. Oh, my goodness. Uh, this is great. I mean, I have to keep on dreaming big. I can't. I, can't I was going to say, I know most people like dream of, oh, I want to like, I don't know, have a house one day or I'd like to have a dog. You're like, well, I want an Olympic medal and an Oscar, please. <laughs> <laughs> like, whoa, I, Okay. I, I, I almost feel silly to say it out loud, but no, you can't. You, I'm sure, you, I'm sure you felt silly as a little kid saying you wanted a medal, and look, you got one, and so and exactly. now here you are. Oh. You want an Oscar? You're gonna get one. I just hope you thank me in your speech. <laughs> I will for sure. Thank you so much. Uh, well, this has been great, Eric. Thank you so much. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time and and your story. Like I said, I. I remember when you came out and what a big deal that was for me and, and for countless others. So, um, you know, I, I'm so grateful for, for everything that you've done and I can't wait to see what you're going to do next. Well, thank you so much. It means a lot. And there it is, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Most importantly, thank you to Eric for the time. Really appreciate it. He is such a smart, talented, influential, intellectual guy. I I truly can't wait to see what he's going to do. You should go listen to his music. Uh, Storm, the single he just released, it's on Spotify. That's where I listen to it. It's very good. And again, I just need somebody to thank me in their Oscar speech. If I get anything out of this podcast, that's what I need it to be. Thank you for listening. Really appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed it. Until next time, same team, Daniel Trainer. Bye.